0: Welcome to the Breaking Bread Podcast, conversations about how food inspires the people that inspire us. Join me, Michelle Jobin, and my co-host, Jasmine Baker, for our chats with some of the most influential, and sometimes infamous, chefs, producers, and
1: hospitality icons. Together we'll uncover the compelling stories of the people behind what we eat, drink, and enjoy. Here we go. Hi, it's Jasmine, and welcome back to the Breaking Bread Podcast. Today, you'll hear the story of award winning chef and restaurateur Alita Solomon. We'll learn how New York City restaurant trips as a kid, time at a kibbutz in Israel, and a summer trip to Italy led her to this crazy business. Alita is a champion of hospitality, a true lover of the industry, an honorary Italian, and one of my heroes. She is the perfect example of breaking bread as an art form and a necessary way of life. Here's Alita. It's gonna be hard for me because you know, Alita, I my I am deeply infatuated <laughs> with you. I am in love with you. I often refer to you as my Italian wife. Mm-hmm. Um, the feelings and, are mutual. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um so we're just so happy to have you on the podcast like i when michelle and i first talked and talking about doing this like you just always like we need a leader yeah we need a leader like it's the depth of our hearts right michelle 100 so gonna try not to gush too much right. because um this isn't just about our our love of you we want to <laughs> we want to tell your story so that everyone can love you as much as we do um so you started your, your career and your culinary journey in, in Tuscany, um, living yeah. and working there for over six years. Um, can you share a bit about that context, uh, about that experience?
2: I had finished, I'd been to Italy a couple of times when I was younger, um, okay. and I had been infatuated with the Middle East most of my childhood, and then um, went on this trip with one of my high school friends to um, Montalcino, um, and when I like dropped out of university to go to culinary school, it was like the only place that I really wanted to be. Um, it was like a small town in the middle of nowhere in the 80s and 90s. Um, and like it it was kind of pop, it had started to become a popular place for wine, but was nothing sure. really major. Um, okay. And then I just like decided to get on a plane after I graduated culinary school. I would worked at a restaurant on King Street uh, for two years in Toronto. And my mentor, who's now teaching at Humber, uh, told me that he had no more to teach me. He was like if you want to know Italian food then you really need to go. I mean, he's of Filipino descent. So um, And who is your mentor? He, his name is Fran, uh, Francesco Rivera. Um, mm-hmm. and he's a he's teaches at Humber now, but he he said to me, listen like kid, you are like a joker. You can work here, you can work there, but I can't as far as Italian food goes. I really I've maxed you've maxed me out. So you're you should go to the promised land and see what they have to offer and so I was super encouraged by him and everyone else to get on that plane. Uh, we started our trip uh, in 1995 in Paris and then drove from Paris down into, um, we went all the way to Puglia, so super, super wow. South. Um, wow. and, th- and then went from Puglia and then my friends dropped me in my duffel bag. We said goodbye. And I never thought that, I thought my six months, I'd be like, okay, I got my duffel bag. I'll be here for six months. And then six, almost seven years later, I was still in the same place. What?
1: So a story. Yeah. <laughs> it was like an instant love affair.
2: I fell in love with them. And I think, it, I think that my love of them was, and th- it was just mutual. Like they just took me in. The town, I wouldn't say a person specific, the town took me in as one of their own and like made me like one of them. So I sort of felt like from the very moment that I stepped foot there that I knew that it was going to be a place I would spend a, a large part of my life.
0: So you mentioned, I think, just to backtrack a little bit, that you had dropped out of university and went to culinary school. So yes. what is it about that? I mean, and that's a story that comes up. I've, 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 I've definitely heard it because obviously you were drawn to food and the restaurant right. industry. So what was it that did that for you? Was there a particular moment or a person or experience that, that made you say, nope, leaving this behind, this is what I need to do?
2: when I was 16, I had, my parents sent me to Israel for the summer, like most Jewish kids. Um, and I was, uh, on a trap, a trip where you spend some time traveling and then you would go to a kibbutz and I spent, um, about a month in this, on this kibbutz in Ashkelon that like had their own, like it was an old school kibbutz of like a socialist kibbutz where, where the kitchen was run for the entire group of people. And I had a choice. I started picking cotton, um, at 2 a.m. And I was like, this is the worst job I've ever had to do. It's yeah, no. 2 a.m. It's like, I'm from Toronto. I'm a kid from Toronto. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, 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 my parents were always like, about work, 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 work. You need to learn, you need to do. And so I did this, I did this job. I said, there's got to be something else that you guys can that offer me. And they're like, well, there's a job in the kitchen. And I was like, okay. And they're like, well, it's, it's, a, it's a long shift, but nobody eats dinner on the socialist ski, the super light dinner and lunch and breakfast are the most important thing. So I like went to work in the kitchen and I fell in love with that entire family that ran, ran the kitchen. And I was only 16 and I sort of understood that. And then like, I, my parents are, my dad's a lawyer, my mom's a teacher, uh, has her master's in education. So edu- for them education has always been way more important than anything else. So I obviously had to go to university. I didn't really want to go to university. I was, I'm also born, in September, which makes me almost a full year younger than mm. everybody else, uh, and I went to university really young. I was like 17, um, and I was at Concordia, Montreal. Um, and I just didn't, uh, I, I couldn't, I didn't, I, the educate the formal education of sitting in lectures to me was like most painful experience ever. Um, I just couldn't wrap my head around spending the next. Four years of my life, five years if you did your master's or whatever you decide to do, to do what? Like I, we were. I mean, in the '90s, I think that people were so children were told that you were nothing unless you went to university, and that totally. a skill and a skill set, a blue collar work job like what we do in the rest, restaurant industry was not for your children. Your children, our grandparents came to this country so that their kids could have, you know, a better education. So, I went to university and I. I spent a year and a half struggling it out. I had some, I had a life-changing moment. I lost a friend at a really, um, while we were at university, who was 19. And I think for all of us in that group, it was like a moment. And I called my mom and dad at like 2 a.m. I'd had like, I'm not even joking, like a six pack of Coke cause I was studying and I was like so caffeine high that I was like, I called my mom in this like crazy panic. And I'm like, I'm dropping out and you know, for two parents who are incredibly well-educated, I was, you know, a nightmare. So they're like, no, 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 you'll take the summer, you'll go to Italy, you'll think about it, you know, and you'll come back. And I was like, I don't think so. So I had to convince them that that what I really wanted to do was cook. And like, they're like, what? Sorry, you want to what? I'm like, I think I want to cook professionally. And they're like, I, I don't even, they didn't have no idea where, where it come from, but really it had come from them. Because my parents are both the biggest foodies I've ever met. We were not a, fa- we were not a beach family. We were a New York City vacation family. We like, you know, we would go, I went to Lutex to meet Andre Saltner the first time when I was like seven years old, um, you know, where they had like old no. school French cart service with like the pumpkin soup, you know, and like they, <laughs> they forget that this is their fault. Like right. I, didn't be- I didn't, I didn't, I didn't become who I am. On my own, like that would be silly to believe, but they didn't. My dad was like, thought this that it was going to be an awesome, uh, awesome thing for me to do. My mother was mortified. Um, and it caused a lot of fights between them because, but like, it is their fault that I am who I am. And my love for food does come from them. Um, they travel, my dad would drive us, like, we go to Boston, he would drive us five hours into the countryside because he heard someone had made amazing pie. Do you know what I mean? So, I don't, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. No, I
1: love that. Yeah, totally. Right. And you know so. what, uh, what I love is, is what a big part, both of your parents are of your restaurant Tutti Matti. Yes. Like your mom is a brilliant pasta maker.
2: Yeah. Um, which is kind of the whole situation is she retired from teaching and she's, you know, an energy bunny at 74 years old, uh, and she just can't sit still. And like she's had both her knees replaced and like still runs around the city like she's running marathons. Um, but she was oh, our yeah. pasta maker. She was our pasta maker up until her last surgery for four or five years. Um, you know, and she would be the person oh, yeah. to come in. This is a woman who has no like past experience. She'd come in the morning, she'd be like, your dough was too wet last night. And I'm like, sorry? And she's like, <laughs> your, your dough was, did I stutter? Your dough was too wet last night. And I was like, okay, and she's like, who made the dough? She's like, you didn't make this dough, but like, you know. So, and my parent, my mom is like our gopher. Um, in the night, I mean, mm-hmm. that in the nicest way, like, you know, she runs to Fiesta Farms when we run out of stuff, and she's actually at the farm right now picking up our veg for the week. Um, yeah. And she, you know, she, she was, she loves. She was my driver to go to the food terminal for a dec over a decade. Like, she was, you know, the guys at the food terminal would bring her snacks to the car because they knew she was sitting yeah. there waiting for me, and. Always there with a coffee first thing in the morning at like 6 a.m., you know, to pick me up. And like, because for years I didn't have a car. So <laughs> the only way that Tutti Matti would get vegetables is if, is if there was a family participant. So it's a, it's a family business.
1: It's almost the, the Italian culture carrying over with you. Like a lot of your friends who own and operate restaurants and even Italian restaurants that I know of in Toronto, there's often like the matriarch or a family member who is there running the show probably not on payroll <laughs> but like and nobody reports to them but if you don't listen to them
2: oh you're like, in big trouble game yeah, over. like yeah. they are
1: they're the first ones in and they're they really are running the show
2: i think it's so f- funny to me that it has just become that way that yeah you know we're like this family from toronto my parents are you know my ukrainian and russian and lithuanian and like we've become italians but like of the old school <laughs> like Yep. Uh, my, dad, my dad calls himself Beppe and he has his, his own Tutti Mati business card that says general manager Beppe Solomon. I left Italy, but this, my, it's, I'm, I'm Italian at heart. And I think that our, my practices and my beliefs in, in hospitality definitely come from the people that taught me everything I know. And it really is uh, the true sense of hospitality when you talk mm-hmm. about the old school of Italian uh, way of life it was you know a meal was never just a food on a table, even if they could only afford for it to be food on the table it was never it was about the experience together and everybody, no matter what you know how hard what field you were in, what time of the day it was, you always sat down for something to eat, and that to me is like i 've kept that very close to my heart i 'm
1: going to force you to do something because you're you're incredibly humble and you always sort of just coast over this but um, your time in, in Montecino is like, I mean, you are famous there. It is, uh, my first visit there, um, was through a trip that you curated for my husband and I, when we just got engaged and it was like, you tell someone, you know, Alita in, in Montecino and they are going to roll out the red carpet. It's like, everybody's coming out from their stores, from their shops, from their restaurants into the piazza. And like this is a friend of Alita's. Oh, Alita's friend, Alita's friend. It was just like, it's incredible. So, I mean, your time there, um, you are, you're so, so well loved there and you have like your family there. Um, but you've also had a lot of great accomplishments and um, there. So can you tell us about some of your awards and, and, and your career there? Cause I, I think I want like I said, I'm going to force you to
2: talk about it. <laughs> um, I think that when you want to learn something that you have to, when you really want to learn something, because now you made me cry, um, (laughs) which I I do often during the pandemic. (laughs) I um, I just, I feel like you have to like submerge yourself. So you have to sort of like let go of what your North American idea of thing, everything is, you know, like I got yelled up for using a cutting board at one of the Australia's I worked at because your thumb is your cutting board, you know, like, um, And, you know, we at the restaurant at Bocanavino where I worked for five years, who are my family, Jazz has met the whole family. Um, They, we had, we're a pizzeria and then we decided that they wanted more. So we decided to try and get a Michelin star. um, And we bought, you know, you have to flip everything. You have to remove tables because you can't serve as many people. You have to uh, change your horrible music to something or no music at all, which is very common in, in the Michelin world of Europe. Um, because your food is supposed to be the symphony that everybody listens to. Um, and you know, we bought Sembon, like we bought the best cutlery. We changed all our glassware. We changed everything. And they're like, Hey, you, me, Alita and Mario, their father was like, okay, we're going to turn this kitchen into like a simple well, guys. You're going to have to, we're gonna have to change things. The menu's got to be different. And obviously we kept the staples that were family staples, but we started to go up this slope, you know, and. I will never forget as long as I live. The day that the Michelin inspector came, uh, and the sister that ran the kitchen that ran the kitchen with me, who's my BFF in the world, um, was in Rome uh, shooting TV, and, the, and it was just me alone in the day, uh, by myself. And Marina, the uh, one of the other sisters in the dining room, it was just the two of us. And the Michelin inspector ate his lunch, and then he came to the kitchen and the pass where I was just standing, and he's like, "I'm here from the Michelin Guide," and I was like, "I'm sorry, what?" Like I. I, I'm like, I, and, and Marina immediately had a full psychotic episode. She was like, she's like, what did you, what, like, she's like, what, that was table. Okay. She's like, we went through everything he ate, like every, every uh, mustard seed, every like, and, and he's like, no, 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 don't worry. It was fine. But I can't, I couldn't tell you that until I was finished. He's like, so you'll be hearing from me. And I was like, and Marina comes to me. And she's like, cause she was always, she's still to this day, is always threatening my life. As my one of my older siblings, she's like, "That better been the best thing you've ever made in your whole life." And I'm like, "Okay, okay." So, you know, and this was in the days when there were still fax machines because we didn't have. Um, I was in Montalcino wow, when they put right. the t- when we put the tower up for the internet, um, and my mom brought me a Dell computer that I still have in the basement, Tutti Mati That's like this thick
0: because there was no like <laughs> like that.
2: But this was like he's like, "I'll send you a fax," and I'm like, "Okay, so." the facts comes through uh, like two weeks later and you don't know where you stand, but like where it's going to be. I mean, it's just like, uh, it's like one of the things I will hold close to my heart, which, which unfortunately was the decision for me to, one of the decisions for me to come home. Um, so we were standing around and the, and the sheet of paper saying there, and we have to fill it out. And they're like, well, whose name goes on the sheet of paper is chef. And I said to them, well, I totally understand that Mario is chef but Mario doesn't do service and Mario does not And that's when I started to realize and very much in North America, there's like the executive chef and then there's the worker bees. This is like where right. the system falls in place. And they're like, Alita, you can't be the chef of the restaurant. And I was like, but I am, Like I don't know. I don't know. Like you guys have all abandoned ship. They, everybody ahead was pregnant and having babies. And Mario was in his like mid seventies to eighties. And we still work together to do prep in the morning, but he, he, you know, I guess I was 20, I was 26 at the time and I didn't really understand there's this self entitlement that comes to in in North America of like, well, Mm -hmm. I did it. So it should be mine. And I realized now, obvious that obvious, that the restaurant didn't belong to me, that Mm -hmm. it couldn't be, it couldn't be my name on the piece of paper. So we got our first, we got our first fork and spoon because that you can't, I mean, now it's very different the way the Mission Glide works. I think they give out stars now, like they're just like, Oh, and you, and you, and you, and you, and, In Europe, it's, you know, you had to, in the 90s and 80s, you had to work for it. Um, And I thought it was like, like, I still have my Michelin Guide in my office in in Toronto from when I made it into the Michelin Guide when I was 26 years old. So, you know, like, my you know, your name's in there, but, you know, you're like, you're here, and this is Mario. And I understand it now. But back then, I was too young to understand that that it wasn't mine, you know. So Mm -hmm. um, that was, yeah, that was one of the... And then I spent another two years in Montalcino. Um, uh, and then in 2009, when we were Tutimati had been open um, six or seven years, I got a phone call. I just get goosebumps. Um, I got a, goose, a phone call from the Consortium of Brunello Producers. And every year they invite, when they give out the stars to Brunello, the entire wine world press from all over the world, from Japan, from from wherever, come to Montalcino to res- watch the, the receiving of the stars. Um, and I was there actually uh, five days before the pandemic broke out this year. Um, oh, right. So in 2009, uh, I got this phone call from the consortium in Italian, blah, blah, blah. Ali, ciao, come stai? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, so you guys are like, oh, we want you to come to Montalcino. And I'm like, you want me to cook for like, the winner of, of the consortium in Brunello? And they're like, no, Ali, it's you. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? I'm like, I don't understand. They're like, we, you are the named restaurant of the year in the world by the of Brunello producers. And I, I, I like, uh, I died. I just.
0: Amazing.
2: There was a part of me that, um, I felt like nothing. I spent my whole career for, and Tutti Mati is all about them. So it was like the, one of the greatest moments that, I, that they recognized that. You know, six thousand miles across oh. the ocean that, that I that it, that it, that I meant something, and so I. They talk about that moment in Montalcino because all the press show up to this event, and it's in a very small old um, Etruscan theater in the center of Montalcino that is beautiful. It's like this beautiful with all the with all the um, the theater goes. It's very a vertical theater, so there's like all these seats that go up like this, and the entire town of two thousand. There was like thousands of people lined the street that day. And I've never felt like I, I, that they could, there was so much, so many people in the theater that there was like people standing on the outsides of the theater. And they had like, they had all these people waiting there. And then when I walked out, it was like this applause. I felt like I, you know, like I had won. It it was one of the greatest moments of my life. They paid for myself and my dad and the staff. And we all flew to New York City for four days and ate at Mission Star restaurants. And then my whole staff put me on the plane to leave for Montalcino to re- receive the award. Um, and then a lot of my staff and friends, we all made it, met in Germany on a connecting flight that half people didn't make it. It was a long, complicated day. And then we <laughs> drove, we got to Montalcino that night um, for the, to celebrate with everybody, with like all my family. Then we all got in a car. My dad thought he had vertigo. We put him in a car and then we drove back into Canty that night. We had been on a flight. We had been on planes for like almost 24 hours at that point into Canty wow. into in the dark, celebrated with Dario and the whole gang at, um, at the butcher shop and then drove back to Montalcino and, and literally, it was like two weeks. I thought I was on some kind of narcotic. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, so. it's legendary. I get it. That's, I, can, I can imagine that feeling. That is an that is, that is yeah. experience and a half. And yeah. I think, uh, and that's amazing and well-deserved. And I think, from that, I think we get a sense of why you wanted to open your own restaurant. Like, right. When you came back to Canada, this is why there's the seeds of that, you know, from right. your experience in Italy as to why you wanted to open your own restaurant versus working in someone else's restaurant. Right. Um, and the fruits of that are, are, are very obvious, but it does take a very special person to work in the restaurant industry <laughs> and certainly to own, you know, opening, owning, running a restaurant. So what is it about that, that you love and hopefully to this day that you still love?
2: So we're heading into our um, 18th year yeah. at Tutti uh on November 15th and I think, you know, I've been through SARS, and now I never thought that we'd be through another pandemic, two recessions, um, and I feel like I just wanted to open a restaurant so that I could, so people could feel what it was really like to be in a a restaurant in Italy to have Mm -hmm. that feeling of complete hospitality. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It's always a struggle, I think, in our industry, especially North America, for people to understand that it's not about us. It's about it's about us as a team to give people that experience of being in Italy, which means like, you know, from the kitchen to the floor staff, to the dishwasher that we all like are all in it together for one, one purpose. Um, yeah. And I feel that there's been a lot, there's been a lot of people have put a little bit of self-importance into our industry in the last decade, where, which, and I think that we we're missing out on like, you have the greatest Psalm and you have like the greatest chef but do they talk to one another? Do, are they on the same page? Like, does your wine list really reflect the food that you're preparing? Or, you know, is like, is your waiter have any, like, does your, all my staff obviously know me well enough that, and, you know, my sous chef, Cray, is on, uh, was, this is, in February was his second trip to Italy with me, and he's only worked for me for two years. Um, but I, like, I, I say, I'm going to Italy, and he's like, can I come? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm notorious for that, like, and good and bad. Uh, for taking, I'm like, I met someone for one week. I'm like, what are you doing next week? I'm going to Italy. You want to come? Um, <laughs> I've so been on an I,
1: Italy trip with yeah. Alita. It is life changing. <laughs> there <you go>. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but I just, think, I think that that's what I wanted Tutti Mati to be. I wanted it to be ext- an extension of, of my people, of my people, of what they taught mm-hmm. me, of the way the hospitality was meant to be. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, not a, not a one hour lunch, but a three hour lunch. Um, I never get mad at people who are still hanging on. who have been there. Like we have customers that come in at noon or they're at eight o'clock at night, you know? So it just, I, that's, but that's what the hospital, you know, that's what the industry was about. And I say to staff always, you know, like we at, at four o'clock every day, we don't go back to work till six. Everybody needs a two hour break. You need to spend that time sitting, sit reflecting, doing, you know, now you're on your phone or whatever the hell it is that you're doing, you know, um, go for a walk, uh, you know, have that, there's no reason. I mean, we're never going to be financially successful, like a lot of other businesses, because I didn't run it that way. Um, to my detriment, obviously, but I didn't really want it to be a money machine. I wanted it to be a home where people can come and eat. Yeah. Um, yeah. and like, and, and then an experience what it really means to be in a restaurant yeah so and yeah.
1: I, and i mean you've you've definitely achieved that it's uh anybody who visits it um is, is always you know bowled over by the beauty of your food and the the true authenticity of your hospitality like you are you your food is exquisite, but as is your hospitality and your expression of um and that's one of the things that we love about you. Um, I want to talk about, um, you know, you're you're a part of a, um, uh, maybe a, fi- a founding member of a very small club, and that is a, a you know, an owner-operator, chef, female um, in Toronto. And as you said, going into 18 years, like when you opened Tutimati, there was maybe a few other females that were, um, running restaurants, if not uh, running their own kitchens. So uh, can you, can you talk a little bit about, um, what are some of the issues that you have faced as, as a, a woman in a,
2: a, a, an ownership operator role in I hospitality? Think, I think Donna was probably one of my biggest, like, uh, she know, doesn't know it or maybe she does know, but I always looked up to Donna when I came home and I was mm-hmm. like, Donna do her. And I was always like, Mildred Pierce was a place, you know, run by this woman, and she was tough as nails. I mean, at least mm-hmm. even her cooking show that she used to have, I was like, yeah, I was, I wasn't afraid of Donna, but I was always intimidated because I felt she was just like this tiny. I didn't know her until I met her in person. She's like the same height as me, <laughs> but a, but a powerful, <laughs> incredibly talented chef uh, and an operator. Mm. And uh, when I came home, I had attempted to open a restaurant. I don't think most people know this with another with a, a group of guys in Toronto. Um, that's what I originally had come home for on Mount Pleasant. And I was there for, I think three weeks before I, I jumped ship. Um, I was petrified of the male dominance in this city for when I first mm. came home. I was, um, I mean, I'm caught in that age group. So I'm 46 where I'm like, there's like a very, there's the boyhood boys club that everybody talks about that's younger than me. And then there's like mm. Jamie and Suzer. But they're older than I am. So I'm sort of caught in this weird place where I'm sort of like, I'm not alone, but there aren't that many chefs in their 40s um, who are still actually working. And then you get Andrew, who used to be at Zuka, who's also in that other group. So I was, I was very intimidated by coming home to Toronto. I didn't realize I couldn't, uh, all the culinary schools had started to send me all the girls they had. Um, and I kept saying to them, because my one of my mentors I worked for it's a, I worked in South Africa for a year and I worked for a woman who was very very hard on me wow. um who sent me a letter much later in life telling me that what she did was preparing me for the realities of the restaurant industry mm-hmm. and she wasn't wrong she was a little fuse, she was a little too physically abusive with me at some points oh. um yeah Yikes. um you know like if I yeah so that working in South Africa is a whole other it's a it was one of the, I was there pre-Mandela so that's how okay i was there i was there I was there just before Mandela was elected, so it was a very weird time to be in south africa but though but being in Toronto was very, very intimidating and there was no there were no female mentors I had never had um, in the restaurant industry a female uh, mentor in Canada um, there just weren't there wasn't any there' weren't, there wasn't anybody that I could call um, there wasn't anyone who I could lean on i didn 't realize um that I was gonna spend most of my career in North America surrounded by women, uh, or sorry, by men. I just didn't realize uh, that that's, what, that's the way it was gonna be. And sure, I—I in the last five or six years of my life, um, Alex, who works at the Drake, um, had an event where she introduced me to a bunch of female chefs almost five, four or five years ago. And from there, I've made some of my best friends um, in the industry of the last five years. Um, and we've we have this amazing relationship uh with each other they're much younger than i am most of them most of them are in their early 30s and which makes them like 16 years younger than me so um but it was tough i think um i think we are we are i think that you know we've got so many problems going on in the world right now um mm-hmm. uh politically racially everything. And I think that the women issue all of a sudden took a back burner to the rest of the, of the realities that we live in right now. And I totally understand that, but there's, it's one of the major issues in our mm-hmm. industry is, yeah, uh, you know, racial equality and, but also women, there's, we've, we we still gender. haven't, we have a gender issue. Uh, we yeah. still do. We still do. Um, you know, what, I never had kids and it wasn't because I didn't want to have children. Um, I love children. I always wanted to have kids. It's just that time went by so quickly Uh, and the amount of pivoting and the amount of uh, you have to do in the restaurant industry as a whole on a regular, as an operator, as a chef, as a business owner, I just ran out of time, Uh, which is sad. But, you know, in the same time I've had a, I've had an amazing career. Um, not so, I mean, my current re- relationship is obviously way different than the ones of my past, but then I, I think it took me, you know, 25 years of being in the restaurant industry to realize that you could have a, a, a healthy relationship as well as, yeah. um, as a business. But I, I think as women, we still have to fight the fight. We will always, I think in the hospitality industry, um, if you want to have a family, uh, which is you know women have to carry children most I'm not saying yeah. don't have to but I'd say 50% of the time most women have to carry children or if you want to raise your kids and stay home you have to spend time at home with your family and once you, our industry moves so quickly that the moment you step backwards for a second to, to you know embrace what you want for yourself you 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 are moving out of a space that's already gone
1: and now a little bit about one of our partners. Canadian farmers are near and dear to my heart. Every farmer I've met makes me feel incredibly proud, proud to be Canadian and proud of the amazing products grown across this great country of ours. One of my favorite farm memories takes me to a prairie field of canola in Western Canada. It was during harvest, The sun was warm, the crops were blowing gently in the wind, and I got to spend the day with farmers. It really connected with me. Now when I choose canola oil for my kitchen, I feel proud knowing that I'm supporting a Canadian farm family. So the next time you pick up a bottle of Canadian canola oil, think about the farmers behind it. I bet you'll feel proud too. There's a, a few issues, um, you know, in our industry in terms of how it supports women and 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 rather doesn't support women to um, to to do things like having a family. And this isn't uncommon in other industries, but right. it is, uh, um, it's it's a barrier in in hospitality. Now, you're somebody who has. Um, You've been a champion for women since the beginning. Um, You've done a lot of things to help um, elevate other women and support other women in the industry. Um, I believe you even were one of the first people to start a scholarship for Mm -hmm. women in the industry through George Brown. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, I started a foundation on our 15th anniversary called the Sharp Lady Foundation, um, which was the first uh, female scholarship at George Brown. I mean, if they now have a, a, a couple of them as well, but it was what I wanted to do to give back uh, to women who were finding it difficult in hospitality, especially at culinary school because culinary yeah. school at the be- at when you, when the number, I don't know what the ex- exact statistic is, but I know that on year one, when you enter culinary, there's always a ton of, a ton of women. And on year two, it literally drops out by almost wow. 40%, 40%. Yep. Um, and it's un- it's super unfortunate. Um, I feel like um, we have to change that. It's our responsibility to change that. We still have a massive, massive pay equality issue in the hospitality mm-hmm. industry for women. And I think it's, a, it's like the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about, because those women are afraid of losing their jobs when they stand up for themselves. But, you know, even us who go out for a drink at night, we talk about it, and they're like, People come to me all the time, like, "What do I do about this?" I'm like, "You, I want you to like open that door, but you also have to remember that, you know, it's people sign. We have a lot uh, an issue where people sign a lot of. When you sign a contract, you're basically kept. You're not allowed to talk about it, Mm, right? So we need to change that because the pay equality issues in in Toronto specifically. We're talking like, I've heard female chefs talk to me about how they're making like twenty five thousand dollars less. Than males in yeah. the company who are who are in the same company. And sometimes those women have been in the company longer than the guys, than yeah. the men. So I think we have eventually we're going to have to readdress this publicly. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's I think when things are normal again, which I'm not really sure. When, this I, I don't I get very upset when people say to me this is the new normal of the hospitality industry, and it's not. This is this is a temporary setback to reality because this is not hospitable
1: no. <laughs> and listen I, I want to just uh, I want to offer up to the women who might be listening to us and and mm-hmm. who might uh who might be in a position where they know that there's um injustice or inequality in terms of um how they or colleagues are being treated paid compensated etc um those NDAs in your contracts uh, are not binding to these issues. And if, no, no. if anybody listening ever needs to speak to an employment lawyer and and figure out how they can make their voices heard and bring this into the light, reach out. We are happy to help you. Yeah, um, yeah. And I mean, listen, we've talked about it. You know, <laughs> I, I transitioned from operations, from from back of house, right. and front of house, into operations, into events. and And over the last couple of years, the three of us, uh, along with Alex Feswick from the Drake have, have talked a lot about the inequality Mm -hmm. in, in the culinary event world. And even in the, um, culinary, um, brand ambassador, uh, social media world. Um, you know, and, and, and I think for, for us, um, you know, it's about, we need to hold space for women. That was where, right. it, where it started. Carve out those spaces and make sure those are reserved for women because there was a point in time when the only people who were doing television or endorsements were men. So right. you know you had to seek out the women who wanted to do, the thing, do these and, and have these opportunities. And more recently, we've had to make sure that it was equal pay for equal work because as we've all discussed, there was a lot of our, you know, very talented male chef friends, but they were getting three, four times what the females were getting for the exact same work. Thankfully clients, like I would say, you know, any of the clients that we have worked with and that we've all worked with them, um, were very open to this. Like you just needed to share, this is an issue in our industry and here's how we right. have to correct mm-hmm. it. And they were on board. So it's like, it's like our industry was, perp- perp- was perpetuating – I can't even speak, but was <laughs> perpetuating – There we go. I right. uh, haven't had my coffee yet today. Perpetuating <laughs> this issue, right? We just needed to speak up. Yeah.
2: Right. I just think it's interesting too. It's like I've been – I, for the first time uh, in, in my entire career, have started to do a lot of um, work in that area. Like I am the Hunt's mm-hmm. ambassador for Hunt's Air Loom Tomatoes, which I love yeah. because it, I feel like they – without good, they, they made a can of tomatoes basically for me. It's like an heirloom. It's GMO. It's GMO. It's organic. It's like, um, and, but you know, the thing is too, is that when you talk, I've lost a couple of deals too. It's like, they went to the, my male, my male counterparts in the industry and were like, they were too expensive Alita. So we thought we'd call, and call you. And I was like, first of all, that's not really, that's not really way you want to start a conversation with me because, uh, you know, I, when I found out what some of the guys but like some of the chefs I know who are making, you know, when I went back to negotiate my contracts, I always called Jasmine and I was like, Jazz, they're for me this. She's like, no, double. We have so much going on in the world right now. I think like yeah. we're all of us, all of us are in sensory overload when it comes to everything that's going on. I'm so grateful that I live where I do. Um, I'm so grateful to be in Toronto and um, have had a have had a successful career here for the last 18 years. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that Toronto has become an amazing restaurant city. Um, obviously we have a lot of things to work on in our industry when it comes to, you know, to, to pay quality and, and everything else that's going on. But I think generally speaking, Toronto is a way better place to be than anywhere else right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Alita, you, you talked about the everything that's going on and there's a lot we want to touch on a little bit more of the everything and, uh, you, you brought up, uh, you brought up, you did touch on racial inequality at a certain right. point as well. And of course we are at a particular moment of awareness um, right. on that topic, which should continue to be a moment of awareness. Absolutely. So, so where we, we talked about sort of the issues happening in terms of gender equality for the restaurant industry how, and the hospitality industry. Do you have any sort of particular sense of how you want to help tackle The racial inequality that's happening in the industry or is there a direction that you'd like to go with that
2: obviously we have a we have a situation that is completely out of hand um Mm -hmm. in this country in in the world let alone this country um and i think that people need to you just need to i think our biggest problem is like i don't understand when i mean i lived in south africa for a year of my life Mm -hmm. um during a very weird period of time in south africa and it was the first time in my life I had really realized that there there was a problem out there because growing up in Toronto, I never, I went to public school. We had kids from like, from all over the world. Like I just didn't, it never occurred to me. I think we, I think part of the problem is that as a white person, we live in a bubble that we don't even realize sometimes. And I don't think it's, it's not intentional is what I'm trying to say a lot of the time. Mm. Um, and I, and I don't, I think that we, we absolutely need to change, um, things i i didn't realize that we had such a massive problem in the hospitality industry to my detriment to my own fault um and i went to my staff um recently who have worked for me for a while one of my staff has been with me almost 11 years and i said to her please i'm checking in I self like have has there been a moment in the last 10 11 years that you've worked with me where you feel that i was out of line she's like you've been out of line in a lot of ways alita <laughs> but, but but I've taken this time I've had so much time to think about all the bad things that I've possibly done in my life, all the good good things and working on our um way of handling things. Um, yeah. I also think that we need to be patient with change, and that change does come like the one thing about about my time in South Africa is that you know i I worked in a kitchen in South Africa with black people and colored people as they as they say in South Africa. And I worked with white people. But the sec like I set the table, I'll never this was such a moment. I set the table in the dining room in the house where I was living on my first night in Cape Town. And I set a spot for to the two housekeepers that lived with us, Beauty and Eunice. And I will never forget this. And my 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 handler said to me, Why did you set two extra spots at the table? And she said, Alita, the housekeepers don't eat with us. I'm like, but I spent, like, they were my people because I worked in the kitchen with them. They were the people I spent my whole day with. It never, my Canadian mindset was just like, we're going to eat together. Or my Italian mindset was that we are just eat together because we worked all day together and we busted our asses together. And the kids are are raised by these women in the house. So why wouldn't you want to break bread with them? And she's like, we just don't. And I was like, it, I was like, I didn't even under, i didn't understand. I think it's really important that
1: you, as a leader and as an idol in this industry, um, continue this conversation because this learning has just started, and we're all we're all being made aware of of, of you know, as you said, like it wasn't intentional, but now we have to intentionally show up for mm-hmm. black indigenous people of color. Like we have to show up, like like what we were talking about with women and how we were saying like in the in the entertainment side, like we have to hold space right. for women. Now we have to hold space for black indigenous people of color because guess what? Space has been held for all kinds of white men for, mm-hmm. her, <laughs>
2: so guess what? <laughs> for
1: all kinds no, of I, just, oh, I, think, I space think
2: for them too. I just think it's, I think it's, um, I think that this, last three months has been a super, for the entire world, a reflection yeah. on, on how we move, how we deal with people, how we deal with situations, how we deal with stress, how we deal with mm-hmm. racial equality, gender inequality. And I think everybody's had mm-hmm. some, some, some time. I'm hoping that people, the one thing I have to say about this whole situ, current situation is that people have taken these three months and done positive things for themselves and time to reflect on things to make things better rather than worse. You know, like I just, I can't, we, I made a decision uh, two weeks ago that moving forward, that all the tip money that comes into the building will now be split equally amongst the entire staff. And that we're right. trying going to try and create a pay equality amongst the cooks and great everybody, everybody in the building so that there's no more, I obviously... Can't pay people what we used to pay them because it's not realistic, but if we can change things to make things better, then take everything that comes in like we autograt now every table that walks in the door, and all that money right. goes to every staff member equally, and there will be no more no more hierarchy of pay yeah great um in the in the building because I think that this is an opportunity we have a ch- we have a moment to change. You know the situation, I think that we in the hospitality industry have to acknowledge that, yes, we have really small margins, but if we're in it for the hospital the hospitality, then we need to make it mm-hmm. hospitable <laughs> for the staff so absolutely you know,
1: I love that I mean I think um oh. because there therein lies uh you know just one small uh no it's not a small change a big change but right. a and an opportunity to um to really level the playing field because those who are new immigrants to our country, they don't have the same um, English language skills that right. some others do. So they're often going to be required to stay in back of house because they can't right. communicate as well. Um, and and But doesn't mean they're working any less. They're no. certainly not working any. Hard, you know, they're not working. Uh, they're definitely working as hard as everyone else. So, bravo to you for doing that. Um, Michelle and I have been uh, obviously uh, very curious about. Um, you know, we've talked. To, we've we've keep brushing past the global pandemic that is going on right now. <laughs> yeah, Michelle and I have been very. Um, you know, cur- we've been obviously been following along with you and 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 everything that you've done. Um, we'd like to talk about your pivot and we'd
2: like to talk about what, um, this experience has been like for you. I feel like about, I was, so my friend who is in that, one of the national, she's a ballerina for the uh, in the National Ballet of Canada. And, you know, she pivots, she pirouettes, she does all these things. And she was one of my first customers on Friday night. And she said, you know, you are the world's and I said, no, I'm not a pivoter. I'm doing pirouettes, <laughs> and <laughs> um, she's very funny. My dad, you know, came over to the table and he started pretending like he was dancing and like it was like this whole thing. And I, um, I think you know we, you know, in the we've had we've been open a long time. We've had some good. We have our good months or bad months. Um, I'm always not people are like not recreating or reinventing myself. Because I, I didn't want to have another restaurant. I always wanted Tutti Matti to be pretty much where I was. I've always wanted to have other projects. Um, but I think I have I have pivoted myself 50 100 times in the last um three months. Uh when we when this on March 15th, I had been home from Italy uh 10 days and or 10 or 15 days and uh we they had started taking our temperatures <laughs> at the Florence Airport and I was like, what is happening here? This seems a little strange. And you know, we were at a wine fair. There was probably a hundred, a hundred and fifty thousand people that came through Montalcino in those four days, uh, oh. you know, hugging and kissing and like I had one of the best trips I've had in a really long time just because I got to see so many people. Um, and I got mm-hmm. to visit a lot of vineyards. And I got to spend a lot of time with one of my best friends who lives in Siena, who Jasmine knows because she worked for him uh, for a couple for a week, uh, he, and we had a good chat. And the two of us had such so much fun together in those three days. It was the first time we had been able to spend that much time together in a really long time. Um, and I was with my sous chef and his wife and uh, my friend Gabby who works at Piano Piano and. They were just so amazed at, obviously, you know, my connection to these people and everything. And we, Miracle and I talked about it two weeks after uh, we had to close our doors. None of us had any idea what was going to happen. None of us had any idea that we were going to be closed as long as we've been closed. We didn't realize that financially we would be so ruined the way that we were ruined. Um, And that the government really has done nothing for the hospitality industry at all. Um, Mm -hmm. And has left us basically high and dry by lending us money that we know we can't afford to pay back.
1: Uh,
2: yeah, they, they've bailed out all of our staff by making sure that they had money, which is really great and, and wonderful. But us as mm-hmm. business owners have been left literally high and dry. Um, and I really, that has been such a hard pill to swallow because the restaurant industry makes up what 4% of the GDP. Um, yeah. and, and, and also
1: and, one point that, Danny Meyer made uh, when interviewed about um, why governments should step in and support restaurants. Is that if you're lucky, if you're lucky as a restaurant owner, you might make a 10% profit margin, right. which right. means 90%. So let's say 90 cents of every dollar that you sell goes back into the economy. Right. That's what's so absurd to me that, that right. there hasn't been more done for the industry.
2: I also got very, very upset, and I had. I am working on a piece for Vice right now, um, which is really awesome. Um, It's been. It's basically a video diary of the last three months, which has been very interesting. Like some of it's been shot in my car, some of it's been shot in the bathroom. A lot of it. The first month of my diarying was a lot of crying. Um, Is that people started saying publicly on the news how stupid we are for being in an industry was such a small profit margin. And I lost my shit. I was, yeah. how dare you? Do you have any idea what we give back to the city? Mm. That our, that the alcohol sales in the province of Ontario support our OHIP, that the billions of dollars that come in through the hospitality industry million, like over a million people. So- How could you possibly say that we're, we're, we're pointless is basically what you're saying. You know, and these were the anonymous emails that were coming out on the bottom of CB because you know, we all, I don't have cable television, but I was relying on my cell phone to, you know, to the internet to like read stuff. And I, it was making me so angry. Um, CBC came to do an interview with me (laughs) um, at 2D Matty on week one. And I was still like, literally like totally numb. What was actually about to occur, I think that pivoting for all of us, Pat, for those of us who are in the hospitality industry because we love it and want to continue being in the business, you have no choice but to pivot if you want to remain. Um, I think we need to stop taking shots at each other in this business about who does what and how they do it. We are in this together, we are in the hospitality industry in Canada for a reason. If you want to be in this business, we love each other. Those of us who are in this business and, and want to stay in it, we support each other. We call each other. We check in with each other. Um, it's not a competition. It's not about slandering each other uh, publicly uh, for the things that we do to pivot. Don't judge me for the way that I've decided to pivot. It isn't the way that you chose to. Um, we, I've been cooking stuff. I was trying to be super creative at the very beginning and doing stuff that I haven't done. And people got mad at me because they just wanted Tutti Mati food to go. They just wanted to have what I, what I always did at home. So I went back to doing what I did. But I was trying to, I pivoted the wrong way that irritated people. But they were, they were honest with me. They're like, Alita, we love your food. Like You don't need to recreate yourself that way. Um, which was great. Like People were honest with me about my initial pivot. So... You were probably we now, also
1: trying to use that product. Right, right. right. Before it was that. Waste.
2: Right, right. Yeah. There's that. Um, you know, we sold almost $14,000 worth of frozen food in the first uh, wow. two weeks that we, that, that we had. Um, because we make ragus in batches. So people don't, you know, you make a batch of ragu, make a batch of wild boar, and we alternate every three days between batches. So I was sitting on, when you're caught off guard, you're sitting on basically the middle of the middle of three batches. So I had like hundreds of liters of frozen, uh, frozen meat, meat sauces. So, and people were excited to have it. It was great. You know, um, when all the restaurants started to open, takeout business started to drop down again. Um, but our frozen business has stayed remain stayed open. But then we, I pivoted again about three weeks ago. And now we have a farmer's market at Tutti Mati. So I want people to be able to get all the veg that we get for the restaurant directly from the farmers uh, at the restaurant. Another thing too that people don't realize is that our food terminal, which is my home with all my, my farmers has been hurt so badly by the pandemic. Um, You know, we're so concerned obviously about the hospitals and and the staff and the doctors, but no one has talked about the food terminal, which is basically responsible for every stitch of vegetable that is received in the province of Ontario. Um, They had an outbreak on week three that put, one of our largest importers uh, on hold. Um, and they are one of the largest distributors of vegetables in the province um, who had to close. Uh, wow. I asked if, if I could cook breakfast for the boys and girls. There's not very that many women down the food terminal. Um, and I wasn't allowed in. They told me that they appreciated the gesture. He actually stopped me the other day in the parking lot personally to thank me in person. I called there. I drove them nuts. I was like, I just want to drive up with the, the truck. I just want to hand out like, hundreds of sandwiches to all the guys, a warm cup of coffee to, for them to understand that, that we care because mm-hmm. most of them are new immigrants to this country. Uh, most of them are busting their asses to get up at 2 a.m. to make sure that we have fruit and vegetables. Nobody has talked about them publicly at all during this entire pandemic. Um, if they were to get, if, every, if there was an outbreak at the food terminal we actually would have no vegetables because it's the only place that veg goes for me that it was, that's been like a big part of what it's always been a big part of what we do at Tutti Mati is being, is buying from our farmers directly. But that's why I opened the food, the, um, the farmer's market at the restaurant was to like, I mean, what I'm doing is 0.01% or even less probably of what I can, but I just wanted people in our core of the downtown city to have a farmer's market because there aren't any right now. If you're going to buy stuff, try to buy stuff from locally, try not to buy us stuff. If there, you know, if you can, there's so much great Ontario produce out there um, and beef and chicken and, you know, and, and all that stuff. There's so much great Canadian product that we need to really just, we need to start really super important now supporting our local um, if you can you know it's not easy for everybody because a lot of people are super um you know doing their doing their part by staying home and socially distancing so they just buy stuff online which i totally get
1: well i mean thank you for sharing um that information i i don't think i don't think we were as aware about how no. dire um things were with our growers and and the food terminal i mean it's uh, uh thank you for making us aware of that that is that is something and i think um, to your point it's yes, not everybody can go in and, and shop and pick their own, um, right. you know, what vegetables they are buying. But the point is, is that when you have an option, choose local. Um, right. and, and I have to say, like, I think in general, uh, I think that's something And I know, Michelle, you've done a lot of. Of work on supporting local and you've done mm-hmm. a lot of work with um Canada takeout day yep. um I think this is what i I think we're all learning this, or I hope um we are that you know looking after our own community is going to be so key right now. This absolutely. is how we will mobilize our local economy um right. and it it it's a requirement to stay hyper local right right
0: absolutely no totally or- it, it too is. Alita, so because we want to do that. Um, do you do you have a patio open right now?
2: We do. You do.
0: <laughs> so we want to know about that and we want to know, we want everyone to know where we can find you and where we can find Chichimanti. So address and social handles and all that kind of right. stuff. Um, is located
2: at 364 Adelaide uh West in downtown Toronto. We are just mm-hmm. east of Spadina on the north side of Adelaide. Uh we have a patio. Uh, we are super fortunate. Um, my landlord two weeks ago opened up the, finally the lines of communication. So we have uh, been given permission to have the entire alleyway of Tutti Mati as our patio. Yay. And That's I've been awesome. told, by, I've been told by the city that I could pretty much run tables, single file line from here to Timbuktu, as long as I behave myself. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, so the patio is open uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, we okay. started off Friday, Saturday. This week is Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Next week is Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So we're just adding a day. I think I'm still scared um, that mm-hmm. they're going to pull up the rugs uh, from all of us if we don't use our common sense. Uh, so we require that all people coming down to the restaurant bring a mask they, case they have to go into the building to use the bathrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, just also to keep my staff safe. Um, and so, yeah, the patio is open from five o'clock every day till about 10 o'clock. Um, we also have the farmer's market running every Saturday, one till 9 PM, where you can come down and get a fistful of deep fried zucchini flowers, uh, a panino with porchetta or a mortadella sandwich, um, and shop your heart out. I want people to bring their kids down. I love, I love children. I'm the baby whisperer. I want people to, we have a kid's menu for the first time in 18 years um yeah we want you to come down have have a pizza have a glass of wine you know bring the kids we have you know have have whatever you want just hang out um it's 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 really nice to see the city starting to come together again and people being responsible about that um and uh you know order takeout we're still open for takeout um uh wednesday thursday friday saturdays as well we're on ritual we're on uber um and if you just pick up the phone, call me and come down and, you know, and let's have a, you know, pick up your takeout so I can see your faces. Um, I think that that's the thing I miss most. Um, you know, all my regulars are coming. I'm so, it's Friday night and I'm so excited to go in for service tonight um, just to see a lot of, a lot of my regulars. Uh, I love how people are just like, we're also doing spritz in a cup to go, which has been really funny because people are now in the neighborhood, like, if they're out going to do their grocery shopping, they come and get a drink to go. I don't know when that became legal, <laughs> but like... Let's go with it. Let's go with
0: it. They're just, <laughs> I'm like, I was
2: I was watching, I started looking around the neighborhood and I was like, everyone is selling beer in a cup to go. And um, yeah. so yeah, so we've we've jumped on the bandwagon. So if you want to come to your grocery shopping on Saturday and get your vegetables, you can have a beer while you're grocery shopping. Whatever you need. Amazing. I'm like, I'm for sale. If anybody, you
0: know, like, you know, <laughs> the highest beer. Um, so okay you
1: know. alita thank yeah. you so much no, thank, thank you, you alita thanks guys it's so great to chat with you and have you fun. too we'll see you soon and have a great we'll friday night
0: okay that's it for the show thank you so much for joining us we will be back again soon with another great guest to talk about delicious things but until then if you want to get in touch with us you can do so at breaking bread food at gmail.com